successful owners who don't have to work as hard and who have maybe a growing business like your example, they're at greater risk mm -hmm. than you know two young entrepreneurs starting with three or four employees. That risk isn't too great. It's only after you've got a great team that, that the risk is at its greatest. Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. We'll get into this episode's conversation right after this. Are you looking to increase your exit planning work? Are you tired of reinventing the wheel with every client? Possibly looking to streamline the process? Then the BEI planning license is for you. Receive the industry's only plan creation software developed exclusively by BEI for BEI advisors. You'll also gain access to implementation tools developed specifically to keep the advisor team moving together. Get personal, individual training and support for your plan design concepts. Get started today by visiting exitplanning.com forward slash license. That's exitplanning.com forward slash license. Attract and engage your clients in the exit planning process. Today, we wanted to talk about some of the more difficult issues that go with working with our business clients, some of the difficult situations that they find themselves in, that they get themselves into. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of those stories that have, been, that have been sort of the more difficult situations for our clients over the past many years have had to do with their employees. And that's because... Everyone knows and everyone agrees that the that the especially the top level team members within a business are really important mm -hmm. to the business value, to the future of the business. And successful businesses almost always got that way because of, in large part, the efforts and the talent and the drive of employees, not just owners. So we know that they're critical, we know that they're important, and sometimes they're often well compensated and they, things still might go wrong. So John, you had a story that we were going to start with today that maybe is kind of one of the more, uh, unfortunately more common examples of how things can go wrong. Tell us that right. story. Well, you know, it's sort of good news and bad news. It's good for the employees, not so good for their employer. Uh, and of course we're representing the employer, uh, in exit planning. So, Again, to Elizabeth's point, key employees are central to the ability of an owner to someday leave his business or her business on, on their own terms. So we focus a lot, and a lot of our podcasts are going to be uh, at least discussing tangentially the importance of key employees, how to incent them, how to keep them working to grow the value of the business at the pace necessary to allow an owner to leave on, on her terms. Uh, particular case I'm thinking about uh, occurred when I was still practicing law. So that was, you know, 15 years ago probably, but I was actually called in by one of my law partners uh, to meet with the four owners of a company we had started to represent. And uh, they were interested actually in maybe creating an exit plan because of there were widely varying ages. One of the older guys was thinking of leaving and so uh, they said, hey, come on out to our, our uh, manufacturing facility and uh, talk to us about this concept of an ESAP. It sounds really interesting. So I get out there and 
were talking initially, and this manufacturing facility was fantastic. It was probably, I know, 75,000 or 100,000 square feet. It, it was immaculate. It was clean. Uh, everybody seemed industrious. They had about 100 people working there. And I knew from, from my partner, my law partner, that the company had about $2.5 million of EBITDA, or pre-tax income, uh, in the previous year, and they're looking at even a, a greater income this year. So as we sat down to talk, uh, and as we talked about in some of our earlier episodes, you, rather than diving into the topic of the moment, you want to get a better idea, a sense of where the owners are coming from, especially with these four different owners with different exit strategies, we thought, I wanted to know a little bit more about them. So I said, well, First of all, you all, you guys, you've got a great business here. It looks great. It seems like everybody's energized. Uh, how did you do this? I mean, when did you start this business? How long has it taken you to get to this point? Tell me a little bit about yourself and the company. And, and the older guy talked first. As Elizabeth, I want to point out, the older owners of a company get to always talk first. Always talk first. Always talk That's first. True. Just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, well, we started this business a little less than three years ago. And, and, and I was stunned, so I stopped him and said, you started this build business from scratch three years ago. You didn't buy the company from somebody else. No, he said, we started it from scratch. I said, how could you create a business with $15 million of revenue, $3 million of pre-tax income, almost 100 employees. How could you do that in three years? Mm-hmm. I guess I'd never seen that in 30 years of practicing law, I don't think. And they said, well, uh, we were the four key employees of another company, a big regional company mm-hmm. uh, in our industry. And we didn't feel as though we were being treated quite the way we should be. Um, we were always getting these instructions from the top to do this or do that. And, and we just got tired of that. So we decided we would start our own business. And would you know that as we, after we did that, all of the important employees and good employees of our old company decided to come work for us. Sure. All of the customers, the larger customers, decided to do business with us. Even the vendors, which were important in their company because they supplied a lot of the raw materials, they decided to work with us. Right. And within about six months, the other business shut its doors. Mm-hmm. So that's a great story for these key employees. <laughs> it's not great so good. for the employees. Yeah. True. And, and so I said, didn't you guys get sued for doing this? They said, well, a lawsuit was threatened, but we had no employment agreements. We had no covenants not to compete. We didn't contact any of the customers, employees, et cetera, before we left the business, which right. can be an issue in a lot of states. Hadn't used any trade secrets. Yeah, we didn't do any of that right. because they'd talked to a lawyer before mm-hmm. they left. So that's the story for today. And I guess uh. the first question is, how do you, if you're now the company's attorney, not my four client attorneys, if you had mm-hmm. been the customer, the, employ, the business's lawyer, who was employing these guys, what would you have recommended had you been their attorney at the time? Right, and that's interesting. It seems to me that, uh, you know, you might expect that the first question they would ask you is not, you know, tell us more about an ESOP and how we could, you know, 
sort of have everyone here in the company participating. But the first thing that I would have asked if I had been them is, how do I make sure that the thing that I did to my previous employer doesn't get done to me? Yeah. Because it's not a two-way street and and I wouldn't I wouldn't appreciate it very much. So so uh, but it's not that big of a surprise that people don't have kind of a complete awareness of the of the maybe the damage that they caused and that it, the same thing, the same risks apply to them. But of course, that's what you're going to do if you brought in, if you're any kind of advisor, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a, or a business coach. Uh, if you find out that this is the kind of risk that can happen for these types of businesses, then then that's maybe a that's maybe a sort of a threshold mm-hmm. issue to deal with is, well, you know, you start asking these owners who are talking, OK, well, maybe the question is, well, what have you done so far? to make sure that the thing you did to your previous employer doesn't happen to you. And then stop and get quiet and just mm-hmm. see what they say. Well, we've talked about it. Oh, well, we're different. You know, it's not going to happen to us mm-hmm. because we I have a pay really my, good... I pay my key people plenty of money. Right. They would never leave. We have a really yeah. good relationship. We're like family. Yeah. yeah. Mostly like family. That so... should be a warning sign all by itself. <laughs> you should never, you should never uh, not think that you don't need to protect yourself because you're like family. So, so the kind, the opening sort of discussion, I agree with. While you're trying to understand this client, is really to go back and say, "What have you done so far, uh, and what would happen to you if your top people in this company did it again? Right. What would happen to you? Because you can't even, you know, business owners aren't going to do anything unless they perceive that there's a need and that they're better off." doing it than not and that it's got some kind of urgency with it mm-hmm. they just have way too many things on their plate and uh and what will happen if we get a few years down the road and your business is twice as big and you're making twice as much in profit you have twice as many employees if that's the trajectory you're on your risk is now much much greater your business is now worth many times yeah. more than it was before what do you what what will happen to you? So those are the questions that you start with. Do you agree or where, you know, what would you do with it? So, you know, just on that, on that point, the other thing to realize when you're dealing in an exit planning environment or arena where your clients are thinking of leaving, uh, that's why you're listening to this podcast, is that as owners start to get closer to their exit departure date, whenever that is, most of them start to throttle back. They're not going to work harder. They're going to not work as hard if they have key employees, which they're going to need to have to exit on their terms. Those key employees are going to develop closer relationships with your employees, with your customers, with your vendors. So successful owners who don't have to work as hard and who have maybe a growing business like your example, they're at greater risk mm-hmm. than you know two young entrepreneurs starting with three or four employees. That risk isn't too great. It's only after you've got a great team that that the risk is at its greatest. I agree, and it grows every day. So what do you do? <clears throat> well, I suppose it depends on where the client is on the on the time horizon, because uh, we might have to get more creative the closer that they are mm-hmm. towards. You know, if they already have their hand on the doorknob of this business and they're kind of one foot across the threshold, 
we need to maybe get more creative and be very politically delicate in how we deal with people. Uh, and, and my answers might be different. If I've got somebody that's got a little bit of time mm -hmm. between today <clears throat> and their ultimate sort of disposition of whatever it is they yeah. want to have happen with the business, they want to back away, they want to sell it, they want to give it to somebody in the family or whatever, I have time, then I have some flexibility, but I'm definitely going to come in the direction of saying, okay, well, let's do some protection against that risk of people leaving and harming your business. And then what are the things that we can do to protect against the risk? There's probably a, uh, maybe in my mind, a handful of very small handful of categories. One would be, okay, well, what risk prevention sort of sort of lockdowns can we do to protect the business? And those tend to be kind of negative things. You know, you can't leave, you can't um, compete with us, you can't steal employees, you can't steal customers, things like that. So, and those vary, of course, from state to state and how, and how uh, tight you can make them. But then there's other things that you can do as well. You can create uh, positives to balance out the negatives. Mm -hmm. You can create internal controls that would help protect some of the most sensitive pieces of information or relationships inside the company. You can create um, backup key people so that if this one leaves, the other one That's can step into their role. Uh, so I have, a, I have a friend who works this very, very large um, company in the energy industry, and she's a very senior person in their HR uh, sort of department. And when she got a new position that was a promotion, she said, one of the things that I'm required to do for my new position is I have to train a successor for my own position and they have to be trained up and ready to take over at a moment's notice in six months. And she's only been in this position for six days, but that's part of that company's sort of risk mitigation policy. And so I think that there's all kinds of things that you can do uh, once, once you've identified the potential problem. You can do some negative things that prevent or restrict. You can do some positive things that encourage mm -hmm. particular behaviors. And then you can do some kind of um, creative problem solving to say, okay, well, what do I have available to me that might work to help us deal with this situation? So what actually happens with either that client that you were talking about or, or your other clients? What's more, what's, what path were you likely to go down? You know, if we have time to plan and, and to act, it almost all of all of the recommendations I would make would focus first on exactly what you were saying. We have to do something to prevent the key employees from leaving and taking something that's valuable. It might be a trade secret, other employees, customers, etc. And that traditionally is done through a covenant not to compete or a non-solicitation agreement, which says you can go compete, key employee, but you can't solicit or take customers, trade secrets, uh, vendors, employees, and so on. So that's the negative on your side. That alone, by itself, probably doesn't work. Agreed. Because no key employee is going to say, oh, gee, that sounds great. I'm happy to sign this covenant that won't let me work in Denver, Colorado for the next three years. They're right. just not going to do that. They would be offended. And if you didn't do it when they started with your company, you might not be able to do it now. So depending on, what, what, yeah. depending on what state you're in, you might not have any ability to say, here, John, sign this restriction. 
you yeah. now cannot do things that yesterday you could do. So in many states, or maybe most states, that's not even available to right. us. Right. So uh, lots of clients did ask me to do that, and then you have to have a talk with them. So someone's going to need to get a business lawyer on the phone, whatever state they're in, and say, "What are my, you know, what are the boundaries here?" And depending on which state it is, you might have more or less flexibility. But this, this negative thing should be addressed. And what is it? Yeah. You know, what does it need to be? And how can it be sort of, um, you know, what professionals will call narrowly tailored, right? right? To just focus on the things that are most important and not kind of paint all over, you know, the wall with is all the things that they can't do. Just focus on the things that are important. So once that has been mm -hmm. kind of agreed on, mm -hmm. what do we have to do to get these employees to? Well, again, to, I think to your point is. On one hand, you've got this negative requirement that we really want to put in place. On the other hand, this is the good hand, you're going to have to provide that key employee with the benefit that they view as being greater than the detriment of doing something that restricts their ability to act. Mm -hmm. And so in our world, uh, we're going to want to put in some kind of an incentive plan mm -hmm. that both motivates the key employee to maybe grow business value. Almost always we want to do that. Uh, but says, uh, we're going to put this incentive plan in that'll financially award you with money or ownership, depending on the ultimate exit planning structure. But in order for you to receive this benefit, we're asking you to, res to restrict your ability to take things of value from the company. So it's, both hands are necessary in this. And done properly, it's a real incentive to the key employees because they should also realize, especially if they're multiple key employees, that if you, you and I are the key employees, uh, maybe I'm going to become an owner, maybe we're both going to become owners, but we see our future as being long-term, I wouldn't want you to have the ability as a management-level employee for you to go take customers and things mm -hmm. of value from the company because it's going to harm me as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things we can talk about. But, but the key thing for me in, in this podcast really is to encourage all advisors, we, you don't have to be business attorneys, to talk to your business owner clients about the danger of key employees leaving and harming the business. Because... I know you've got a million stories on this. You, I do, as a and not story. all of them ended. Not all of them ended well. Uh, in fact, those are the ones you know that you remember the best, or the ones where it was very difficult. Uh, and I'm, and I might say that you know the these ideas are are a pretty good example. There are lots of them that will that will be covering over time, but these are good examples of of issues that relate to probably every successful business client, yeah. every successful business owner has to deal with this issue in some shape or form. And that in the, in the business owner's mind, this has almost nothing to do with exit planning. This isn't exit planning. This is not exiting. This is, you know, it's risk mitigation or it's, it might be business growing, mm -hmm. which isn't a thing that we've identified as a specific practice, but lots that fit into certain people's kind of kind of area of specialty. So uh, it's business growing, it's business protecting, it's business um, um, supporting, it's it's risk management, and so all of those things 
you and I would probably argue do support an, an eventual departure by somebody from the business, but it doesn't have to. It could be for anybody who's listening now, just good business sense to do it. Just allows you to maybe get more out of the business exactly. if you work so hard to build. So, uh, so I might I might encourage people who are listening to not think of it as an exit planning um, issue or solution, but to think of it as a business I, issue. You know, and I'd even take it maybe a step farther in that when you start talking to business owners about their exit plan down the road, they tend to zone out. They tend to procrastinate. Because that's the nature of human beings, right? Or I'm not get I'm not ever going to exit, so I don't need to talk to you about this. And exit planning in action is acting now. Mm -hmm. We're going to take actions today in dozens of different areas in the business and in the owner's life. But there are things we can do now to improve the business today and the owner's situation today. And that's how exit planning really needs to be presented. Is well, we've heard about what your plans are, here are some things we can do today to make a difference starting right now. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of anything more important, really, than protecting the business against losing value because employees leave and compete, or failing to take advantage of the ability to develop a management team to reach your goals, whether they're current goals or future goals, through incenting them to perform. And, you know, and combining those two is central to most of the exit plans that we see our members doing. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's usually theirs, and I, you see more exit plans than I do. Right, and and that I agree with you. That is the key. And they and the earlier they can start, the, the easier it's going to be. I can give you two very, very quick examples. Uh, the saddest client situation I ever had was when I was practicing law, and I was brought in to be, be the business lawyer on a team of advisors implementing uh, a plan for a business owner that had been designed by someone else. And, and uh, I didn't participate in the plan design. I was brought in to really support and sort of t- help take it across the finish line yeah. with the legal work. And that owner was very close to leaving, wanted to present the opportunity uh, to take over the company to several employees hadn't figured out a way to do that, had written it all down and had run spreadsheets and everything, presented the opportunity to the employees. And essentially they said, let us think about it and get back to you, which is a pretty common response. Mm -hmm. And the response ended up being when the employees came back is, you know, we've been meaning to tell you Hmm. we're leaving and we're starting our own firm. Decimated this guy's firm. He had no ability to leave. Uh, it took him, I know, I checked the files when he came back, took about five years for him to even get into a position where he could return one of my check-in phone calls and let me know that things had turned around and that he was going in the right direction again. So probably yeah. delayed his his transition out of the firm by eight or 10 years total. Yeah. And because he didn't spring these opportunities and restrictions on people until the very last, the very last minute. So flipping over to another situation, I had another client named Dan, who I started working with at the time that he set up his business. So, you know, I was the business lawyer forming an entity and helping him decide how he was going to do things and customer contracts and things like that. He put an incentive plan in place for key people 
that we created completely out of thin air. It had, we had, I had never done a plan that looked like that before. It was, it was very customized to his company, and it was in place when he hired the first employee, uh, and it affected lots and lots of people, but some to a greater degree than others. And he ended up selling that business within probably seven, eight, nine years uh, after starting it and, and getting actually much more than was his target sale price for the business because that and a lot of other things had gone the right way. So that sort of methodically setting up the business, what is the ownership arrangement, I might argue, would be sort of like a first line question that should be answered if you've done everything you're supposed to there. And immediately after that, go to this employees, how are you going to keep them? How are you going to prevent them from killing the company? Uh, and what are you going to do with the good ones would be probably the next thing to do. And if somebody hasn't done it yet, then I would argue start today. It's not going to make you have to exit your business. It is going to make a future exit more possible mm -hmm. and maybe more successful. Mm -hmm. You agree? I agree. I agree. I agree. Anything else we learned from this client situation with your employees and their uh, and their uh, stealing the business away from their previous employer? Well, I think I, I guess I would ask you a question on that, which is assuming that you're listening to this podcast right now, mm -hmm. what would you suggest the next step should be for advisors who have not been talking to their business owners about what we just talked about today? incentive planning and restrictions and so on. Do they need to gain more knowledge? Do they need to work with other advisors? Can they ask some questions to the owners directly to get a sense of what's what the owner's thinking and what the owner's done? What, what would their next step be? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'm not a huge fan. I think probably a lot of people will disagree with me about this, but I'm not a huge fan of identifying a thing that I didn't know about before and now I, I, I need to go out and become an expert in it or you're an advisor, John, and mm -hmm. you're now aware that, that this dealing with the risk of, of important, valuable employees is, is something that really wasn't on your radar. So you need to spend the next six months really deep dive understanding everything about mm -hmm. it and everything that can be done. So let's say you are a business coach and you're working with a business on a whole variety of issues. So I'm not really a fan of that kind of a solution. If you're if you're a business advisor and you have and you have clients that you're not talking to this about to about this, then I would probably say get your list of questions out. Figure out a short list of questions that you can ask every business owner that you talk to and use those questions to just uncover the possibility that we might need to do something and then develop relationships with either the advisors who already work with your client or uh, somebody else that you know in your community so that they can um, help and kind of think through the issue. So I might get your list of questions out. For everybody, that's going to be a little bit different. It would have to do with, uh, with you know, do you have key people? How important are they? What would happen if they leave? Something like that, right? So, so the bottom line is you don't need to be a business attorney to get this process rolling, but it's a process that any owner who has or thinks they're going to have key employees needs to start considering today. Agreed. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.